And by the way, uh, like I said before, we're putting all the messages, uh, going to put them on the cloud about by the week, during this week, I hope to be able to share uh, the link with you first. And uh, uh, we're going to work to put those links right on the church website. So you can actually download them or you can just listen to them. Um, we're going to have our own Spotify, but I don't even know what they're going to call it. But we're going to have something. <laughs> and there are already messages there. Praise the Lord. This morning, I want to share on a topic. Uh, I'm starting a series this morning. Uh, I'm sharing a series, and I have titled it simply Moving Beyond and Above. Moving beyond and above. Uh, incidentally, uh, even as I was laboring on this topic, uh, I, I was looking at it. It's actually going to talk a lot about finances, right? But I, I kind of also want to demystify the whole concept of finance as I try to show us uh, God's principles for moving above from moving above. Um, I remember about 20 years ago, I sat in a, in a workshop uh, somewhere, I don't even remember now, but I remember the pastor was saying, it's so difficult to talk about tithing and finances today in the church. And uh, 20 years later, I'm laughing because it's even more difficult now to talk about it, right? But more than that is this, there are certain things the church does not talk about that is, for me personally, is very, very annoying. I was sharing with my brother and my sister yesterday when we visited them, and I said to them, we're having this conversation, and I did say to, to them that it's sad that, I don't remember the, the exact way I said, but for me, looking at it this morning, it's sad that the church has one of the highest numbers of teenage pregnancies. The church has one of the highest number of unemployment. And it's not because the church does not have the resources to prevent this. It's because the church is so scared to talk about such issues as finance and as sex. Praise the Lord. And those are, probably, those are two things that will either wreck a relationship or build it up. Right? Uh, and I, I said to one of my friends years ago, I said, as a pastor, if I can't teach you how to improve your life and your finances, they have no right asking you for an offer. And I still believe that. Praise the Lord. So um, I'm going to I'm starting this uh, series, and the first part is simply uh, titled, the, the whole series is titled Moving Above and Beyond. And uh, let's look at what we are trying to get at. So the first part of this series is, is what I call putting your house in order. Right, so it's a four-part four series, but the first part is simply putting your house in order. Now, let, let's start. I, I, was, I want to start by giving you three testimonies, right? Uh, the last time, I, the first and the last time I've been in Jamaica was with uh, Sister Funke. It was a beautiful time. And uh, the second day of being in Jamaica, I remember um, it was a time when we just started this old student association and I was talking to one of my friends that I've not spoken to him over. Uh, I think I, last time I probably spoke to him was probably 20 something years ago, I'm not sure, 15, 20 years ago. But incidentally, we had another conversation thereafter and we ended up talking about tight. And I remember when I first came into ministry in 1997, uh, I had a conversation with this guy at about 1997, 98. Um, he made more than me at that time. At that time, I was teaching. 
and as a teacher, I think I earned about three thousand five hundred. Yeah, uh, I earned about three thousand five hundred. My friend uh, worked in uh, in uh, one of those uh, advert companies, and he made more than I did, uh, but he still struggled financially. He struggled seriously. I remember talking to him, and we were talking, and he, I don't even remember how we got to the topic, but he said something that just kind of wowed me, and he said. Uh, tithes is the way pastors used to exploit their members. I actually went to church on Sunday and I remember saying to the church, listen, you don't have to actually tithe just so you know. And I'm never going to beg you for money to eat. <laughs> because if God cannot meet my needs, then God has no business putting me in ministry. You know? Uh, but incidentally, um, me and this uh, same fellow, we kind of had a, an argument earlier this year. And uh, part of what part of the argument was, we were supposed to contribute a particular amount of money, less than fifty dollars, and it does not have it. And I'm looking at it, and I'm saying, twenty something years ago, you don't have money. Now you're still struggling financially. Amen. So I want to keep that story in mind because I'm going to come back to it. The second one is I used to have a, a friend who later became an assistant pastor with me. And I, I, I kind of discovered that every time this friend of mine is always asking, is a taker. There are some people in our life that they are takers, right? Uh, but let me tell you, it is not a very good, it's not a very good label. Being a giver is easier than being a taker. And um, initially I didn't mind, but after a while it's taking really began to get on my nerves. Uh, I did promise to do something for him. I, I made my budget, I, I factored him in, but on the day I could not meet up that demand. So I began to look at him and the Lord kind of pointed to me that if I keep giving to him, he's going to be drawing me backwards. So I'm looking at him, so I said to him, do you tight? And the guy looked at me, again, he made about twice what I made at that time. And the guy looked at me and said, the money is too small. How am I going to tie it with? And I said, uh, no. Do you take offering from people? He said, yes. I said, do you people take people's tithe? He said, yes. I said, because you are not tightened, you will continue. And I pray. I said, listen, if you so prayer, people will come back to you and they will pray for you. If you give people food, people will come back to you and they will. it's what you put in that you will get back. You cannot plant prayer and then expect financial abundance because it, it's simple. According to Genesis, you know, in the story of Noah, God said, God was very, very clear, seed time and harvest time shall not cease. So if you don't sow, you cannot reap. When I was young, uh, for those of us who understand Yoruba, they say, you know, for the dull student, they go gusoye. That medicine that's supposed to wake up your brain. But the thing is not that the brain was sleeping. The thing is that the person has not employed their brain. I agree some people will not be that brilliant. I don't see myself as a brilliant person. Honestly, I don't. You know, I say, I know I recognize brilliance in people when I say I celebrate it. But I know that that is not me. But am I average? Yes, I'm average to get through to the next grade, to the next grade. And I keep going at my own pace. So no matter how many of those concussions I drink, it won't help my situation. 
And the person who is brilliant, no matter how many of those you give him, it will not make him necessarily, you know, more. So, I, and it was so interesting because I actually had to say to my friend, I'm going to teach you. And I said to him, I said, listen, look at it very well. I don't need your money. It doesn't matter how much you bring. It will matter to me. I said, I don't need your money, but I just want you to learn this principle. So we sat down, looked at how much it was paid, looked at how much the offerings it was getting, and I said, you need to bring me a tenth of that. And I told him, stop whenever you want to. I think he did it for about three months, but in, by, within that three months, I began to see that he stopped relying on me. He stopped asking me for things. For me, I was so happy that he stopped asking me. This was becoming very, very annoying. Somebody comes to your house and they are going back to their house and they're asking for transport money. And I'm looking at him, you know what, if you really can't afford to come to my house, why do you have to come in the first instance? You know, and this, this person was almost 20 years older than I, I am. So again, you don't want to be rude. And at the same time, you don't want to encourage. And that's another thing. A lot of times in our life, we enable people to depend on us. The motto of University uh, of Polytechnic says, I think, uh, teach, uh, essentially, we shall teach them to fish, right? Uh, in my office, I have it on my word, you know, uh, work is the, is the antidote for poverty, right? Teach somebody to fish, they will bring you fish. Continue to give them fish, and they'll continue to ask more of you. So what am I, laying, what am I getting at? Number one, I want us to understand, and it is true, whether we are rich or poor, we will get to heaven. Rich poverty or riches or wealth is not a salvation issue. Right? So it's a choice. I think I actually think it's a choice. It's a choice that we make. We can either be above or we can just manage through. But I'm going to, I'm hopefully going to, at the end of this, be able to give us enough to help us begin to look at all of this differently. So <clears throat> starting, uh, like I said, is a revelation that I've, I've worked with. And uh, I like the way John chapter 1, uh, 1 John 1, 1 puts it. That which was from the beginning, 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have had which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon. And when he say which our hands have handled, that means which we have an experience of, right? The word of life, and that is what I'm trying to present to you. So I said, depending on where you are right now in your own personal space, right, you will be able to adapt what I'm trying to get across. Uh, and this is not to say that um, I'm prescribing particular steps, no. It will depend on where you are. Some of you will find out that you are already doing what I'm, what I'm trying to pass across. <laughs> right? Uh, so let's first look at Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 34. Luke 14, 25 to 34. And intentionally, I'm looking at it from the Good News uh, translation, but we can also look at it from the uh, King James. It says, once when a large crowd of people uh, were with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and eat not his father and mother, his wife and children and brethren, um, you know, he cannot be the man's life. We say, Where don't, you know, if you cannot bear your own cross, I want you to underline that. Verse 27 Those who do not bear their own cross 
and come after me cannot be my disciple. Right? And then in verse 28, I mean, if you really look at it, oh, just take that off, take that off. In verse, 20, in verse 25, I'm going to read from my version here. It says, once a large crowd of people were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, those who come to me, those who come to me cannot be my disciples unless they love me more. I want to understand that. Unless, the word it says, unless you ate, right? The ate right there is not that you have to, you know, disown your parents or your husband or your children or whatever. I know some, some, some sex chips that no, no. It simply means you have to show that you love God, right? So I like it this way. Unless they love, uh, they love me, unless you love me more than everything. So when he was saying father, mother, wife, children, and all of that, it's time to talk about how much that demonstration of your love has to be. It has to be number one in your life, right? Then look at the next line. It says, those who do not carry their own cross and come after me, your own cross, your own responsibility, your own obligations, even as you work with Christ, you have to carry your own baggage. And then you go to him with that baggage. And we'll see that as we also go on. In verse 28, he now began to explain something very interesting. And this is a very beautiful concept. If any one of you is planning to build a tower, you must sit down first and figure out what it will cost you to see if you have enough money to finish it. Verse 29, if you don't, you will not be able to finish the tower after laying the foundation and all who see what happened will make fun of you. Praise the Lord. And then um, they, will make, they will say, wow, you began very well, but you finished badly. Then in verse 1, we gave another example. If a king goes out with 10,000 men to fight another king who comes against him with 20,000 men, he will sit down and decide if he is strong enough to face that king. If he isn't, he will send messengers to meet the other king to ask for terms of peace. I want to underline your Bible, terms of peace. Why is still a long way off? In the same way, Jesus concluded, none of you can be my disciples except you give up everything you have. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> and I'm going to come back to this, but I want to understand something. The reason why we tithe is not essentially because there is no money in the church. As long as we have people in the church, the church is rich. You and I are a reflection of that corporate church because we each individually make up the church. We tithe because it's the way we put God first. So I want to just hold on to that. We'll come back to it later. Now, just you notice that when Christ was talking about all of this, he didn't bring in you know, the kingdom of God. He was just giving a good illustration. So we see from here that it wasn't a salvation issue. Right? Uh, but then in, verse, in Ephesians chapter, to confirm that it's not a salvation issue, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved. Acts 15, 11 says, we believe it through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. And in Timothy, don't worry about that. And in, in Timothy 1, uh, 9, it says, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. 
So this is not about, it's not about sanctification, it's not about salvation, it's not about righteousness, right? Because it is, those are not something we can control, right? But let's go on. Having been saved, the question now becomes what next? How do you live your life? <clears throat> I remember that for a long time, I refused to be a Christian intentionally. Uh, and I've I, I made jokes of it so many times, right? I grew up in the, in the days when the, the pastors you see are not a very good example. They are, not, they are nothing to write home about, about the God they preach. They, 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 if I, it, it's just so annoying. It just even thinking about it. And yet you will open the Bible and say to me, uh, you quote to me Psalm 24, the act is the loss and the fullness thereof. And then you're looking at that person and you're saying, well, if you serve a great God, I don't see that greatness in you. But again, revelation has increased and I'm, I'm thanking God for being part of the generation that has a better understanding of the scripture today. So let's look at what was saying there. How do we put our house in order? Right? In verse 27 of Luke 14, it says, you have to carry your own cross. And if you cannot carry it, then you cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Right? That is a loaded statement there. And I'm going to try and give it my understanding of that interpretation using verse 28. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has sufficient to finish. So what is Christ saying here? We come to Christianity a lot of times not really knowing what we're getting ourselves into. So for example, I'll give you a crazy example that happened to me, I think last week. For some reason, I was on my uh, association website and it occurred to me for the first time I saw something there and they just, I just read in passing that I had to do 16 hours of CE for the year. And I was saying to myself, how many hours do I have right now? And my brain started going because for some, I was looking at another thing. I just never saw this particular one and they were very clear what they wanted. Now, if I did not stumble on that, I probably will go through the rest of the year not knowing I needed to meet that requirement. And earlier that day, I, asked, I was actually that same day, I was trying to sign a document where they were asking me, do you know the requirement for this? And I said, yes, because I actually knew that requirement for that particular thing. But then I belong to three different associations and each of them almost have three different requirements. And I'm like, what? And it's the same thing with our Bible. There's so many things in our Bible that we don't fully grasp. And so beginning to put our house in order is beginning to ask ourselves those questions. What is still there for me to learn that I don't know yet? That is one. Two, part of putting our house to order is asking yourself, hypothetically speaking, if I drop dead today, what will I be leaving behind? 
would I be leaving a lot of debts and liabilities, or will I be leaving an inheritance and asset? If you read the Old Testament very well, the Lord will say to them, put your house in order because you are going to die. Put your house in order because you are going to die. And so people have the time as a figure of speech to have their will ready to divide their inheritance. But as a Christian, what does it mean for me to put my life in order? I'm going to say one, it means identifying my own priorities. What are my priorities? Two, what are the things that are important to me? It can be important to my friends, it might be important to my family, but is it, does it carry equal importance with me? And three, knowing what is expected of me. Do I really know what is expected of me? And I want to add the fourth one and say, knowing what I stand for. <clears throat> what do you stand for? One of my sister pastors years ago was preaching, I will never forget that. He said, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for everything. So what do you really stand for? At the beginning of last month, I sat down and I said to myself, okay, you know what? I don't know how long this is going to go on. So I decided to do a budget. And then I sat down there and I looked at, I have two offices, each office, this is how much it cost me, this is what I need. I looked at the church, this is what the rent is, this is what the, 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 the utilities are. I added each of them together, each list, and I multiplied by three, over three months. And when I saw that figure, my heart took a skip, boom. And I'm saying to myself, where am I gonna get the money to do all of this? And so I began to read, I began to you know, wake up early in the morning and try began to see what I can do to, to meet this and that. But it was so good because having that picture in front of me, remember what Habakkuk says, write the vision and make it plain. And so one of the things I did, I've been reading all of them, I looked at them and it just dropped in my mind. I needed to call three people, I needed to call two people that I know who run their own business. So I called each of them and said, hey, uh, can you talk? I sent message. You say yes. Uh, okay, so one of them will talk later, and then I asked them the same question, and they said, "Oh, we're all in the same boat." Okay, first thing, my anxiety came down by fifty percent. So, uh, what are we going to do? And each of them began to tell me what they were doing, how they are doing it. So, one of them was actually consulting with somebody as well. Okay, so I, I learned from what they were sharing with them because I had to carry that cross. Part of that cross, for example, is my landlord's rent. I wrote, and that day I wrote a mail to my landlord and I said, hey, listen, are you willing to take rent referral or what do you want us to do? I've not been working for the last three weeks. I've been away. I can't really make my rent. And um, we went back and forth. But I said, don't worry, you'll get your money, but I just can't pay you once, which is true because I have to chase my invoices and I don't know if anybody's going to be willing to pay now. 
but I knew what I was getting myself into. And I tell you, the minute I had those things on paper, I had so much peace. I could sleep. I could sleep. Two days later, it dropped into my mind. And the Lord, the Lord dropped this into my mind and said, I led Israel through the wilderness for 40 years and they did not stop. And so I began to pray. That became my prayer upon Lord. Israel walked in the wilderness and they did not need to change the dress. They did not need to buy new shoes. And so what are we going to do? You need to do the same thing with us. And I began to pray for every, myself, my family, and all of you. And as I was doing that, you know, some ideas came to my mind. But you know, you could do this, you could do this, you could do this. And I went back to prayer and I said, Lord, listen, let, let's talk about this, Lord. The Bible says, the rod of the wicked will not rest upon the lot of the righteous. Otherwise, the righteous will stretch forth their hand and they will do evil. And I said to him, remember what Solomon said? Solomon said, do not give me too much so that I do not become proud. And don't give me too little so that I will not steal and so dishonor your name. I said, I'm here between the rock and the hard sea. I don't know how this is going to go, but I need you to do something. You think God said something to me that day? Nothing. And so the next morning I woke up and I began to scroll and I began to look at, okay, how can I cook some books here? And I, I, I was figuring some things ahead and I felt very, very uncomfortable. Very, very uncomfortable. See, I'm bearing my cross. So I left my system. I, I couldn't do anything that day. And I just went to bed. And the next morning, my first email was asking me, eh, I've been trying to reach you, Mr. Kombi. Uh, so I called the person right back. And it's like, yeah, I said, yeah, I can do online. You want me to schedule you for online? She said, uh, can we do it today? I said, why not? You pay me first. And bam. You know that song, open the floodgate of heaven and floodgate open. And the next day, I mean, it was so much that in one day, I got it, I got a whole family of six who wanted my services. That was over $5,000 in just one day. And I just like, oh my God, okay. So we started. But again, it started with me understanding my responsibility. Understanding how I needed, what needed to be done. I put, you need to put it down. What is what, what cross are you carrying right now? Do you know that cross? Then I began to look at what I needed to do. Okay, um, do I need everybody's talking about buying this, buying that? And I'm telling you, since all this started, I have not invested in any software. You know why? Because I had all my softwares that I have not even been using for years. And I found ways. I found ways just by looking at it. And remember he said, except you carry your cross and come to him. The last part. You have to carry that cross and then you can come to him. He said, none of you can be my disciples unless you give up everything you have and come to me. So because what he was talking about is you have to, once you have identified your cross, you have to leave the anxiety with him. He says, come to me, all you that are labored and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. It's not that you throw, you forget your responsibility and say, well, God will do it. No, no, no. You identify. He said, that man will sit down. He will sit down and he will look at the course and ask himself, can I finish with what I have? 
And if you are not able to finish like me, then you go into prayer. Nothing in my hands, O oh Lord, but unto your cross I cling. My faith looks up to you. Psalm, Psalm 121. You know, my, my, I, I will lift up my eyes to the ears. Where my help comes from? Now, sometimes, maybe, maybe you will not get somebody. For example, if you are a salary earner, I'm not sure somebody is going to come and knock your door and do a business with you. Right? But the thing is this. Somewhere, some, somehow, God is going to raise up help to meet that need. Somehow, he's going to do it. But you need to identify what need. What do you really need? You need to identify it. You need to define it. And not in bogus terms, you know. There's that prayer that is just so disgusting, even to heaven. Lord, help me. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, seriously, if Lord has not helped us, we will not, we'll be dead. If God has not given us mercy, we will not wake up this morning. But we need to be specific. What do we want of you? Praise the Lord. And then he went down and said, you know, so I'm saying here, Jesus was laying the order for true discipleship. It starts with when we gain an understanding of who we are and who we are following. I have to come to Christ knowing that I, I am helpless without him. I have to come to Christ knowing that I cannot do it without him. Remember, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but it is of him that the Lord shows mercy unto. Praise the Lord. Then to follow Christ, we are challenged to love him more than our own selves, than our own families, and our own possessions. So we demonstrate our love. And then like Christ said in Luke, uh, Luke 12, uh, 15, he says, no, watch out. Be on your guard against all kind of greed. A man's life does not consist in an abundance of all he possess. Beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisted not in the abundance of the things which he possess. And then, by the end of that week, I sat there and I was looking and I'm thinking of the rent. And then the Holy Spirit just said to me, look, you know you don't really have to just pay that rent out of your pocket. I said, oh. I said, okay, why don't you just remove your tithe, add it, pay your tithe there, then you can know what you have left, what needs to be done, and then you can. And so I sat there, I just kept, and, you know, I didn't bother taking out the, the running cost or anything because I was working from my bedroom anyways. So I just put everything and I was surprised. When God said in Malachi, test me in this. God was not just talking about money. God was talking about each of us putting our faith in his word. Putting our faith in his word. He's saying, I have said it. Test me and you will say that no word that comes out of my mouth will return to me void. Still on discipleship, in Luke chapter 6, verse 43 to 49, I'm going to read very quickly. And no, no for, for a good tree bringeth not corrupt fruit. Neither does a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. 
For tons, for of tons, men do not gather feed, nor of a bramble bush gather the grapes. A good man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth good fruits. What is Christ saying there? The good tree is Christ. You and I are the fruits. The good tree is Christ. I don't know how you have read that, that scripture before, right? In verse 47, it's, uh, uh, it's, uh, for the mouth speaketh out of the abundance of the heart, right? Because he is already in us. Christ in us is the hope of glory, right? And then, and then you know, if Christ in us is the hope of glory, then we should be able to speak words that Christ puts in our heart. For of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks forth. We speak the word of life. I'm sorry, but when a Christian says to me, I can't. I look at you and I wonder how much when a Christian says to me, it is impossible. I look at him and wonder how much of your God you know. Like somebody says, you cannot serve a big God and have big problems. You cannot serve a mighty God and have mighty problems. They are, both are incompatible. So for me, and then when you look at verse 46, he say, why do you call me Lord? And do not do what I say. Why do you call me Lord? You cannot tell me I love you and then be disobedient to me. Neither can I tell you I love you and then be disobedient to you. Verse 7, as for everyone who comes to me and hears me and put my words into practice, I will show you what they are like. Again, Christ started using the story of the house. That person is like a house, is like a, a, a man building a house. When we learn to put God to test, Malachi, it's test me in this, says the Lord. So God is saying, when you learn to put my word to test, I will tell you what you are like. You are like somebody who is trying to build a house, who has dug deep, deep down to lay a bedrock foundation so that when the flood comes, it does not sweep you away. The scripture is not just there for us to quote on Sundays. It is for us to live. Worship is how we live our life. Worship is a lifestyle. It's an attitude and a lifestyle. The analogy of the tree and its fruit, the wise and the foolish builder are the same. When you have been with Jesus long enough, you are supposed to manifest his character and faith. You are supposed to begin to talk and think like Jesus would by the Holy Spirit. Some people have said to me, you know, sometimes I wonder, if Christ was in this situation, what would he say? If Christ was here right now looking at this, what would he do? Jesus is the good man. You are his fruit. Jesus is the wise builder. You are his house. When you allow his word to take root in you, and you let his word guide you in all that you do, 
Again, we're talking about putting your house in order. So the question now becomes, and I'm going to start trying to see if I can run this up very fast. How do I put my house in order? Number one, <clears throat> recognize your own limitation. Recognize your own limitation. In Luke 14, again, go back to that 14, verse 28 and uh, verse um, 31, right? You, when you really look at what he's saying, you begin to understand in verse 28, it says, if any one of you is planning to build, if any one of you is intending, so if you have it in your mind to do something, do you first actually sit down and ask yourself, what do I really want? What do I really want? How much is it going to cost in terms of my time, in terms of efforts? It's like when I want to do a paper, I first look at the topic and I do, I'm always looking for a very easy topic. You know, but I've also understood that very easy topic doesn't mean it's going to be very easy to write. But you're also looking for something that I kind of feel like when I read it, it makes sense to me. I want to, I want to kind of, I want to get a feel of what I'm going to write. Because if I can feel it, I can write a lot. But if I can't feel it, if I have to struggle, then I struggle to write. So I can't it. It says, lead after you have laid the foundation and you are not able to finish. So that means you need to identify your own strengths. What can I do and what can't I do? Where do I need help? When would I need the help? And please remember, there's nothing wrong asking for help. We all need help. We all need help. I like that song. I don't know who's standing to lean on me when you are not strong. I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. Right? So when you really look at it, don't overestimate your own abilities. I work with a lot of people who kept, one of the, one of the things I'm working with people is that we have this tendency to be perfectionist. Things just have to go in this way. If you're a perfectionist, you are killing yourself. Because what you are saying is nobody else can do it the way I can do it, so I would rather do it myself. And usually perfectionists also struggle with saying no. Because people begin to see that you are good at doing it, then they keep piling on your plate, and instead of you saying no, you I mean, I said to somebody once asked me to do something, and I looked at the person and said, you know what, I have no problem doing it for you but am I going to get a percentage of your hourly pay? Because if you're getting paid for one hour for a job you've not done, how much are you going to pay me out of that money? If you're not careful, you'll find yourself carrying a lot of load on yourself. You take it home, you bring it back to work. You have to be able to, again, recognize each, I like it. You have to be able to compartmentalize. I know it's not something everybody is strong at doing. But you need to be able to compartmentalize. Everything, you, everything has to have a box in my mind. And you have to be able to know when you are at your wit's end, when you need to take a break.
a true disciple must recognize his own limitation. I like, I, I think it's uh, Isidro Romans chapter 8 that says it. It says, For we do not know how to pray, but the Spirit Himself helps our infirmities by words and groans that are unintelligible to the human here. Which is why I love praying in tongues. So I enjoy praying in tongues. I look at the situation and I start blaspheming in tongues. I don't know what I'm saying, but I know God understands what the scripture says. He who knows the art of the art understands the mind of God. So when I look at something and I'm confused, instead of beginning to try to find the word, I just start speaking in tongues and praying. Bible says, "When for building yourself in your holy spirit, in your holy faith, that speaking in tongues, I just start speaking in tongues." Two, govern your passion. You need to be able to control your own taste, your own appetite. If not, we're going to be like Judas. Listen, we have all of us have Judas tendency in us every day, whether we abuse Judas or not. Like I'm going to always say to my client, you know, anxiety is good. I tell people, it's funny when I when people come to me and I say, Do you know that I'm a very paranoid person? And they're like, No, how can you be paranoid? I'm very, very paranoid. Paranoia is good. It only becomes a problem when it is keeping me from not doing what I need to do. Anxiety is good. They are like traffic lights. We all want green, 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 green. No. I'm a pessimist before I'm, a, I'm an optimist. I try to think of what's the worst case that can happen before I begin to see. But when I talk, I don't talk about the worst case. I talk about the possibilities. Because if I have to choose between slim and none, I will go to a slim. If you give me between 0.5 and 99.5% failure, I will go with 0.5 chance of success. Combine your passion. According to Proverbs 25, 27 to 28, it said, it is not good to eat too much honey, nor is it honorable to search out matters that are too deep. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Self-control. James, in James, James says, the tongue is a very small part of our body. <laughs> and yet, it can set, it's not, it can set, it set the whole course of nature on fire. Learn to control yourself. Learn to control your tastes, control your emotions, learn to control you. <clears throat> because if you cannot control you, then you are like a city without walls. You spend your life putting out fires that are not necessary. A good disciple learns to manage his or herself. This can be quite a challenge, believe me. And I don't believe it is something that will be accomplished in one day. However, if we are going to be disciples of Christ, we have to be willing to learn. We have to be willing to be open to new learning and be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and, to and be open to asking questions of the Spirit, of the Bible, of ourselves and our pastors. 
We have to be willing to do that. One of my friends decided to come all the way from Nigeria to Canada without telling me. Then got stuck in New York and then said at midnight they called me to say, have you seen this person? I said, no, they're in Nigeria. Why would they be in Canada? Oh, they're trying to surprise you. I was so mad. That level of spontaneity is bad, which is why I hate surprise parties. It's too spontaneous. Three, share your faith. Philemon, verse four to six. I'm going to read it from two, uh, two versions, King James. I thank God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. Verse five, hearing of thy love and, uh, can you put that for me on the screen, oh, please? Philemon. Philemon, verse four. Philemon just asked only one one uh, chapter, one chapter. But we're looking for verse four, right? He says, "I thank God, making mention of thee always in my prayers." That's the King James version. Sh uh, sharing of thy love, right? Because of all I hear concerning you. Now, you cannot tell me you have faith if I don't see it manifesting. The only way I know a Christian is how their life shines for other people. Philemon 4, 6 to 6. Praise the Lord. Except you manifest that, there's no way. But I like the way the, the King James put it. It talks about embassies. They, uh, the old King James says the effective communication of your faith. How effective is the communication of my faith? I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayer. Because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. The effective communication of our faith. What, what is it? What, what is it? Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast towards the Lord Jesus. Yes, I hear you say, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. He's my friend. He will never leave me. But I'm looking at you and I don't see you communicating that, that love. I don't see you communicating that faith. Now, I always put a caveat here. Don't let somebody confuse you. Humility and humiliation have different spelling. They only start with H -E and M. We're called as Christians to be humble. We're not called as Christians to be humiliated. So what does, what does it mean to effectively communicate our faith? It means that we demonstrate our faith in our relationship with our brethren. We're open with them. We're honest with them. We're willing to share our time with them. And as they do, you know, as he says, I, I, I pray, I pray. Because when we share with people that way, then people find it easy when they pray to remember us. I will come back later. In Ephesians, in, in Isaiah, chapter 10, reading from verse 11 to 13. We begin to see something here. 
as we share with God's people, we begin to, I'm, I'm, I'm combining the last two points together, right? You begin to see what you have been, what you have been able to learn. It says Ephraim is as an effort that is taught. Right? So that is not because he didn't know, he knew. But what does he do with what he had learned? He's joking with it, so he loves to trash. What we do with what we know is that we pass it on. I like the scripture where Paul was taking, uh, Paul was talking to Titus, is it Titus of Timothy? And he said, knowing those who have learned this from, you know, commit the same to people who are trustworthy. So effectively sharing what we know, demonstrating it in humility before other people. Now, a true disciple does not depend on his own strength. He looks to the teacher for validation. I don't think any student wants any other student to validate him. It's good when other students say you are brilliant, but more, you want your teacher to say that you are brilliant. And that is, you know that when you get good grades. Ephraim, in spite of his training, needs to be restrained. Again, governing your passion there. Needs to be restrained. If not, it will be trusted in his own wisdom. I'll, I'll take one more point and we'll round up for today. The fourth thing I want you to begin to prepare your mind with right now is that you need to start thinking in terms of abundance. Are you the kind of a person who sees a glass cup as half full or half empty? When you're looking at the half full, all you see is what you don't have. When you're looking at the app empty, what you're looking at the potentials that is in what you have. The app empty person focuses on what they don't have. In their mind, there's always going to be a scarcity. They, they, they work with the mindset that what if, what if, what if. I say, to, I say to people and I say stability, stability in relationship is the enemy of that relationship. The half, the half empty person just wants everything to be the same. They are so conservative in their orientation. They're not open to change. You can be a Christian and not be open to change. Who would have told us even just 365 days ago that we'll be watching each other and not be able to hug or even sing or, or you know, uh, uh, be in the same space 24, uh, uh, one year later. And yet so many, so many churches are left scrambling. It is good to have a stable environment, but spontaneity is key to advancement. You need to be open-minded. You need to be willing to learn. When you think in terms of abundance, you remember Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the loss and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell it, they are it. 
And when you think of this scripture, I want you to remember that it's not just talking about the world. It's talking about all the world and everyone inside. And so as we begin to end this part one, I want to leave you with some things to ask yourself. Do I really know my own strengths? Have I been able to identify my own limitations? I want to ask yourself, how active am I in sharing my faith? For some of us, I'm a, I'm, well, honestly, I'm not a fan of one-on-one -on -one evangelism. <laughs> sorry, oh, sorry, I, I repeat that. I'm not, uh, re reframe that. I'm not a fan of, you know, mass evangelism. I love the one-on-one -on -one better. Right? So I know that when it comes to that evangelistic thing, you know, when people go out and all of that, that is a weakness I have. But I can sit with you one-on-one -on -one and I can share. So I may not have as much reach. So I know my limitation in that way. But some other people will go out on one day and they will talk to 10 people. I praise God for their life. How generous am I in sharing that faith? Remember Christ says, a man's life is not, does not consist in the abundance of all he has. So I ask, why should I tithe? Why should I tithe? What is my life worth? I was listening to a gentleman called Dave Ramsey. A lot of you will know him. He's uh, one of those Christian financial uh, teachers. He said something this week that got my attention. He shared the story of how he began to get close of his, of his conversion to Christ. He was in the pyramid scheme. And they are going, you know how they say they are doing this thing and they bring all of you together and you see all the people say, ah, I've made 100,000, I've made 200,000. And according to him, they brought in this guy and the guy's name was Rich. And he's supposed to be the big guy. And then when Rich finally came in and Rich was talking, he said he was so blown away by the guy's charisma. And then Rich finally said, and then finally, let me tell you this, and I quote him. If you don't know God, you are going to struggle in business. When you put on the character of Christ, it changes your character. It causes you to want to serve rather than to take. And you are more, more worthy of trust. You are trustworthy. And servants have the tendency to win, not lose. And the guy said he went home to his hotel room and got a Gideon Bible and began to search the Bible. I want to, I want to repeat that again. If you don't know God, you struggle. But we claim, like Ephraim, we know God. <laughs> We're struggling. And I'm not talking just about finances. I'm talking in our relationship. I'm talking in, in our dream. I'm talking in everything that concerns us where we struggle. First Corinthians verse, chapter 4, verse 1 to 2 says, then, This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I like the version that says, it is required that those who have been entrusted with a trust must prove themselves trustworthy. Let us pray. And so, Father, I want to commit your people unto you, O oh Lord.
It is my prayer that you will use the word that you have given me to enlighten, to empower, Father, to liberate, to refresh, to renew, and to release your people unto greater heights. Lord, I'm not sure which ones is going to resonate with who, but one thing that I am sure of is this. I do not want their faith to depend on what I have said, but I want it to depend on your demonstration and on your power. And so for this reason, oh Lord, I ask, Father, that you will give your people the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they may know you better. I pray that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened in order that they may know the hope to which you have called each and every one of us, oh Lord the riches of your glorious inheritance in your saints and your incomparable gift power for us who believe in the name of Jesus. I pray that during this period, O oh Lord, you will lead us all in the path that you have proposed